In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. It's the Monday morning edition of pa- the Pack a Day podcast. You're on the Blue Rider Podcast Network, and uh, not a victory Monday. It took a took a tough L in overtime yesterday. Did the Green Bay Packers to the Indianapolis Colts? A final of 34 to 31. I'm Alex Strofe of the Packaday Podcast. Joined as always every other week by my friends Andy Herman and Perry Goldstein. And I, I know they were both really, really happy when we jumped into our call here. I'll start with you, Andy. Uh, definitely a tough one on Sunday, my friend. Yeah, it really was. And it's just disappointing because obviously they came out, played a very strong first half for the most part. Still some mistakes in that first half, which we'll go over. But, you know, to to completely fall off the rails in the second half. And basically, you know, the offense doesn't get on the field. Your special teams turns the ball over. The defense doesn't play great. And everything falls apart. And then you still have a chance to win the game at the end. You come up a little bit short, kick the game time field goal, go into overtime, start fresh, and then make really your fourth really big mistake of the game. Um, Just very, very frustrating that it was so many self-inflicted wounds in this game. And it really was a tale of two halves, Perry Goldstein, wasn't it? Yeah, the team that played in the first half did not look like the team that played in the second (laughs) half. I mean, this was just a complete meltdown uh, at all three phases, too. There's no one side of the ball to blame here. It happened on offense and defense and special teams and just full scale through the game away. Like Andy said, there were so many moments where the Colts gave the Packers an opportunity to come back and take advantage of some of their own sloppiness. I think that's, that's what this game was just sloppy football. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Packers still, it was like, who wants to lose harder? That's what it felt like. (laughs) Especially as, as the Packers just couldn't figure things out in the second half, score 28 points in the first half, come out of the locker room and they're flat as all heck score only three points in the third, fourth and overtime combined it was incredibly frustrating and and really just it it felt like you said Perry it felt like there was two different teams um you know in comparison to the first and second half but I want to know four turnovers three by the offense one on special teams Darius Shepard of course uh you typically don't win football games Andy when you have four turnovers no and and Matt LaFleur mentioned that in his post-game press conference as well it was really interesting if you would have told if if you if I only would have been able to listen to like the post game press conferences of last week and this week and not been actually able to watch the games, I would have swore that the Packers lost to the Jaguars and that they beat the Colts. Like you could tell last week there was a level of frustration. Matt LaFleur was 
pissed off with the effort and energy against the Jaguars, but they won that game. And then this week, you know, Aaron Rodgers basically said, he, you know, he has a ton of confidence in the team after this this game, especially with how they played in the first half, how they practiced this week. Matt LaFleur basically echoed those comments. It was a much more uplifting post-game press conference than actually it was a season ago. Now, maybe a little bit of that is, is coach speaking, trying to lift your team up after a win to make sure that things don't spiral out of control a little bit after a difficult loss like that. But it was really interesting that it felt like two totally different press conferences, even though, again, they won last week and, and lost this week. But that was really one of the the things that both Rodgers and especially LaFleur had mentioned is that, you know, ultimately when you lose that turnover battle four to two, you're, you're just not going to win very many games. And, and not only was it that they turned the ball over four times, but it was in just really difficult situations. Obviously, MBS is at the end uh, being the worst of those, but Darius Shepherds came at a horrible time. Uh, just, just you know, poor situational football and, and obviously some really bad mistakes at just inopportune times. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> Look, the the turnovers are what they are. Uh, I I don't think that the Packers have had a four turnover game, and I, I can't remember it. So it's obviously been a while. Um, you can't play like that. You have to you have to secure the football. Like there, that's that's what this game is is possession of the football. And when you give away possession, like Andy said, you're not going to win. Uh, I think if you want to take some positives out of this, you know, we've seen the Packers get punched like that. Um, in games prior and and things just sort of spiral spiral out of control and yet this team played with a lot of heart today um, you know they they came out and obviously dominated and then it it did fall apart in a way but they were in it until the end and it, yeah. as a person sitting on my couch watching it was very likely that the Packers could still have won that game in the last minutes of overtime until obviously MVS fumbled so I, I think there is something to be said for the way that this team carried themselves through four and a half quarters um, and, and didn't just let it just completely go, go to hell like it did with the bucks. Um, So if you want to get something good out of it, I guess there's that, like they were still fighting for that win and also against a very, very good defense. Um, I actually penned this as a loss. So the way it happened was of course painful, uh, but at the same time we were going up against a very, very good team and so it they got the better of us in the end. I like that spin zone. You know, obviously, as frustrating as this game was and infuriating even at points as this game was, they were still in it. I mean, they were still they still had the ball on offense with a tie game in overtime. So they were right there. And even with all the mistakes, even with the lackluster second half, they were still in the position to win. So that is a positive parry that is worth uh, noting. Good call on that. So let's let's kind of jump into this as a whole, if you guys don't mind. Let's start with the first half, and we'll work through the game and really get to where things uh, went wrong. But starting with the first half, this is where things were going really right for the most part. 28 points of offense in the first half. Only two of those four turnovers came in the, came in the first half. Uh, they allowed 14. Raven Green had a turnover. Christian Kirksey had a turnover. There was a lot of good. A lot more good than bad in the first half, Andy. 
Yeah, there really was. But at the same token, I don't want to get lost in the fact either that this was far from a perfect half for the Packers, sure. you know, either, even though they were up 28 to 14, you know, some of these miscues still were happening. They had uh, the fumble on the opening drive. They had the missed, uh, you know, the the missed, um, you know, connection between Lindsley and Rogers. And then Rogers threw an interception a little bit later uh, in the half. And then you also had the missed field goal by the Colts, which really would have made this even closer. Had I've, I don't think I've ever seen a field goal come up short on 50 yards and especially in a dome um i can't believe that that actually happened but um you had that happen as well, which, you know, could have made that uh, a 28 to 17 half had it not been for that. You, you, the defense also allows two big drives in the first half, two 75 yard drives, uh, one 12 play 75 yard drive and another five play 75 yard drive. So far from perfect by the Packers in the first half, but the offense was so on fire. The defense actually came up with a couple turnovers, including the Christian Kirksey pick and the Raven green force fumble that it, it looked a lot better uh, than maybe even it, it, it felt at times, but um, certainly Certainly a first half that you can live with and certainly a winning first half of football, even with the mistakes that were made. Yeah, more positives than, than frustration, at least what I thought. Perry, what about you? Yeah, it, I mean, they they looked great. They were they were in rhythm. I mean, like Andy said, there were some miscues, if you will, but they were still, you know, they would turn the ball over and then the defense would get it back for them. So it ended up being so somewhat net neutral there. And they took advantage versus the Colts who would get turnovers and then not take advantage and not score points off of those turnovers that the Packers would give them. And I think that was the difference in the first half was the offense being able to score. Um, I thought Rodgers was on fire. He was spreading the ball around. Our receivers looked like our receivers again. Alan Lazard was back. Both tight ends were getting involved. So it was everything that you want to see. Like things were clicking. Uh, and then, you know, you'd think that going into halftime, you'd feel good about the lead that you have against a, a very good Colts team. Um, and then to come out and, and not even look even close to the same. And I think someone also asked Rogers during his post-game press conference, you know, what did the defense do differently in the second half uh, that, that made everything sort of kind of fall apart or not work as well as it did in the first half. And he was like, nothing, <laughs> they didn't change anything. <laughs> so, so something wasn't clicking there um, from halftime. You'd think that you'd have this like momentum and feel good after what they were able to put on the field. And it just didn't translate. The Colts defense is good. It made adjustments. And as much of this blame that will fall on to the defense, I think we'll get there in a little bit. Uh, there's got to be some blame on the offense, too, obviously, in that second half. They were only running three plays because they couldn't get first downs. Um, so definitely some blame as good as Aaron Rodgers played and as good as the offense was outside of the turnovers. Uh, they still were just struggling come quarter number three for whatever reason. It just, again, to use the term, the tale of two halves, it really felt that way, Andy. So we'll jump into the second half where things really fell apart. The Colts outscored the Packers 17-3, to a punt, a punt in the third quarter, a fumble, a turnover on Dan's, and then ending that half with a game-tying field goal that ultimately brought it to overtime. But really, the unraveling began here, Andy. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world, with more total visits than any other job site, according to CompScore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. 
Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Term and conditions apply. Yeah, and, and it's the, the difference between the two halves is really, you know, playing complementary football to an extent. And that first half, yeah, Green Bay made some mistakes, but it, when the Packers made those mistakes, the Packers defense came back and really held the Colts in those situations. You know, for example, Green Bay's first fumble to open the game, then they, you know, Raven Green forced the fumble right back and they got the ball back, went down and scored a touchdown. And then, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers throws the interception, Green Bay holds three and out, and that was the missed 50-yard field goal. So two turnovers by the Packers offense, two times the the Packers defense held and either got and really got the ball back in both situations and scenarios without it hurting the Packers in the second half. It's the exact difference. And I, I think you start off by the fact that yes, there's, there's blame on the offense for not maybe picking up a couple of those first downs, but look at it this way. Packers score the, the touchdown to go up 28 to 14 uh, with just a little bit of time left uh, in at the end of the first half, they kick off the Colts, get the ball. They, they kneel down for one play. Then you go into what, like a 20 minute halftime, All right. Then the Colts come back. They do a 14 play 56 yard drive that took up seven minutes and 17 seconds of the clock, which is in real time, probably what, you know, another 25 minutes. It probably felt like 20 minutes, maybe. So now you're up to almost like 45 minutes that they weren't on the field. So Green Bay gets the ball. They go three plays, six yards. And yes, they have a three and out. But guess what? Some of the sometimes those are going to happen every once in a while. You're going to have a three and out. I don't necessarily put a ton of blame on the offense there. Yeah. You know, obviously they didn't get the first downs and do what they needed to do, but that, that's going to happen from time to time. So now the defense gets the ball and now they, they, were, they were just on the field for seven minutes and 17 seconds of, ga- of actual game time. Now they're on the field again. Now it's 10 plays, 55 yards in three minutes and 57 seconds. The Colts score another touchdown and get the two point conversion. Now what, that's probably what another 15 minutes. You're talking about like an hour of real time, maybe in there where the Packers offense was on the f- field for three plays, six yards. And it's really tough as an offense for you to get in any sort of rhythm as a play caller, as a player, when you have that much time off and and you're not out on the field, you're just kind of getting cold and and not playing uh, obviously at a very high level. So now after that, Green Bay gets the ball back another three and out the Colts take it another eight play 50 yard drive for four minutes. And then what happens? They kick off the Darius Shepard fumble Colts get it back. And thankfully only four plays three yards, but now you're at two minutes and and six minutes at a time. Like you're legitimately talking about like an hour and a half of like real time where you, the green Bay had six plays of offense and you just can't get in any sort of rhythm when that happens. And as, as Perry mentioned earlier, Credit where credit's due when they had the opportunity at the end of the game to to tie it up. They they go down the field and, and they tie it up and uh, get into overtime. But um, this is a team that needed a, a touchdown in the second half. I tweeted out with, at, right before the Colts scored their, their second touchdown of the half. I tweeted out, I said, the Colts are going to score 30-plus points in this game. It's up to the offense to make sure that they uh, you know go above and beyond that. The Packers had 28 points at the time. And they, basically, they needed a touchdown in the second half. They needed mm-hmm. a touchdown. And instead, it was punt, punt, fun. 
fumble, turnover on downs, field goal, fumble. And they never got more than three points in the second half after an absolutely dominant first half. And not playing complimentary football and just having the mistakes and the errors and really falling apart in the second half. Yeah, you're going to lose games if that happens. That was a rant, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I I figured you'd get on the soapbox and let it fly, <laughs> which is totally fine. And I imagine Perry wants to do the same. The second half was infuriating. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I completely agree with Andy. And I remember thinking that while I was watching, you know, the Packers haven't even been on the field in so long. And yeah, Andy, you're right. Three and outs are going to happen. Like this offense cannot be expected to score on every single drive. They need to be able to rely on their defense to get some level of stops. And when you're playing soft and you're like, okay, let's, let's take a step back here. The defense actually made some really great plays this game. This is the theme of the season for me, at least, is that these great plays come at the wrong times. So they do it on first and second down and then give up a third down or they get a, you know, a tackle for a loss and then allow someone to go 13 yards for a first down. And it's like that means nothing now. And now you're still on the field and you're just getting gashed. And I com- like completely agree with what Andy said, is that like when you're dominating time of possession and you're keeping the ball out of air, Aaron Rodgers' hands. You don't let the offense get into a, a rhythm, which is what, like, they're that's what makes them successful. You're you're gonna take advantage. They scored, I think, 17 unanswered points before the Packers could even like do anything. Um, and then you get someone like Darius Shepard, who we finally get the ball back, and he fumbles. And I don't know why he's still out there. I know that we don't have anybody else because Tyler Irvin's hurt, but Tyler Irvin needs to come back. And it, it's just it's. It's just infuriating because there's not a ton to do there. And and it's both sides who need to make some changes. Like, I don't think you can really blame the defense because, like Andy said, they've been out there for so long. But you can't blame the offense because they're cold on the bench for so long. But at some point, like someone on one side of the ball needs to step up. And, oh, it's just hard to watch. It's just it's it's really hard to watch. And a couple of things on what, what Perry just said. So first of all, third and long is a chore for this defense right now. Like every defense wants to get in third and long situations and every third and long seems like a nail biting nervous situation because the Green Bay can't get off the field in these situations. Even the third and what 19 late in the game where you just have to get off the field to get the ball back to your offense and you give up 16 yards because you're playing soft coverage. Like it, there's no third, it could be third and 48 and I'd be like, all right, buckle up. Here we go. (laughs) It just has been that sort of way for the defense all season long. And then to to Perry's other point, you have a 53-man active roster and a 16-man practice squad. And you are telling me with 69 roster spots that the best returner, or I guess even in this case, backup returner that you can put on the roster is Darius Shepard. Like you legitimately could just pick one of those practice squad spots and put a a returner on it, just a dedicated returner and call him up every single week and legitimately have a spot dedicated just for a return specialist. The Colts kicked, you know, you know, uh, high air balls basically to make sure that Darius Shepard had to return in the kicking game and that he couldn't just kneel it to take it to the 25 because they knew that he was not going to get it out to the 25 yard line. They were challenging the Packers to have, uh, you know, a return specialist that could get 
past the 25. Not only could Green Bay not do it, they had one of the biggest plays of the game in the turnover to give the ball back to the Colts. So there, I guarantee you, there are returners out there that you can find that are a million times better than Darius Shepard. And I know you can only call them up two weeks from the practice squad, but churn that thing through. Like literally find a returner that's a return specialist for two weeks, activate him for two weeks, play him for two weeks, cut him, bring up another guy for another two weeks. Like there are really damn good return specialists. And if you just have to do that in one of your spots, just as that, because nobody on your team is that dynamic with the ball in his hands that you can trust him to be a returner, then go out and find one. And that, that to me is just a mismanagement point on this team right now. No, that's totally fair. And I think, you know, there was multiple occasions in this game where Darius Shepard looked lost on special teams. And that's just flat out not acceptable, especially when it's week, what is it, 11 now. Um, Even if you are a backup returner or a practice squad guy, you should still not look lost when the ball is coming to you as a return specialist. I know we never advocate for somebody to lose their job, but I imagine Darius Shepard won't be a Packer much longer. What do you guys think? I, I think that's probably fair. I, it, there's just been too many miscues out on the field. It's it's, it's too bad. He's a great story. Um, he's looked great in the training camps when he's been out there. But anytime that he's gotten in the game, whether it was the kind of the, the tipped interception last year, I think it was against Philadelphia uh, in the game that they lost. Uh, the, they almost had the ball down at their own, what, two or three yard line because it was almost a misplay. It just barely touched the goal line. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been a touchback. And that would have been another huge error. And then, of course, the, the fumble as well. And, 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 and Maybe, I don't know if it's more importantly than that, but like it's one thing, right, for an MBS to have issues when he's also creating a bunch of huge, huge plays down the field. But what is Darius Shepard doing to counter the mistakes that are, you know, are made out in the field? Yeah. It's not like, again, he's dynamic as a returner. It's not like he's great as a receiver. Like he's been my lowest graded receiver this season as a actual wide receiver. Uh, he's brought nothing as a returner and he's made multiple mistakes. I, I just don't know. At some point you have to be, you, you are what you are in the field. And if you're not adding value, again, you have to go in a different direction. Yeah, I think this goes back to last season. And if this is crossing seasons and you're not making any improvements to your game over that amount of time, then and like Andy said, he's not adding anything. It's not like he's like this amazing dynamic receiver and we just had to stick him back there to return kickoffs and punts like he's not adding any value if anything I think he's like a negative so I hate to say it about a player right like you never want someone to not be part of part of a team who's like put in the time and the work and the effort but Mm -hmm. at this point I just don't know what he's adding like and if we could fill that spot with somebody who's actually going to contribute to winning a football game then I think that's something that they have to at least entertain yeah, somebody dynamic, whoever it is, uh, definitely could, could use up that spot. So I'm with you guys. I imagine after today's showing, they're going to probably realize they, they might want to go a different direction. But I want to move on to some of the key points of this game, some of the key points that actually kept the Packers in this game during that abysmal second half. Uh, the first one would be it felt like the Colts were called a million times for offensive holding. Uh, it came down to actually being... Eight penalties for 116 yards in total. I don't know. I don't think those were all holdings, but that's total for the Colts uh, as the Packers severely won the penalty battle by about 80 yards. Um, So those holding penalties by the Colts offensive line, definitely crucial down the stretch. Right, Perry? Yeah, and it should have been 131 yards because they completely missed a face mask on Aaron Jones. Like, I don't know how you call that many holding penalties, which, like, there's probably a holding on every single football play in the NFL, and yet you can't call a blatant face mask. (laughs) And I'm just – I'm not, like, asking for more. I'm just saying, like – 
really? <laughs> like, I'm not complaining about all the holding penalties by the Colts because they kept the Packers, that kept the Packers in at the end of the game. Like, this was another example of, like, it wasn't just the Packers who played a sloppy football game. Like, the Colts did, too. They both gave each other opportunities to take this game away, and all those penalties kept stopping the clock. So the Packers didn't even need to use their use their timeouts. So thanks, I guess, but it ended up not really mattering. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You could get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, so I need to be humored for a second with another. I'm going to say mini rant, but it's probably going to last longer than that. Oh boy. So this is just this is just actually it's not even a rant. It's just I'm going to nerd out for a little bit because I thought some of the the time management stuff at the end of this game was really really interesting and really unique. So I kind of want to run through it really quick just because I'm a huge nerd and I love this stuff. So. Um, Let's start. Packers turn the ball over on downs with about, uh, I want to say about three minutes left, about 3.06 left in the game, uh, trailing by three. The Colts get the ball. So on the first play, they uh, Phillip Rivers passes 14-yard gain, first down, about two minutes, 22 seconds left, and Green Bay gets the, the another false start penalty, which is another huge issue in this game of trying to jump snap counts and whatnot. Another one on Preston Smith which gives the Colts a first and five with two minutes and 16 seconds left in the, in the game. And uh, Green Bay only had two timeouts left at the time. So this is where things kind of get interesting. Green Bay gets called for too many men on the field. Matt LaFleur wouldn't ever be able to say so. I'm going to be willing to bet a lot of money that that was on purpose because a first and five in that situation, they basically run the ball and they're either going to get a first down and they're going to run the clock down to the two minute warning or uh, worse, they're going to get like three or four yards and now it's going to be second and one and they're going to run the ball down to the to the two minute warning. And now you're just in no man's land because they're going to probably pick up a first down on then third down. And then basically it's, it's almost game over from there. So the fact that Green Bay had the 12 men on the field, whether it was on purpose or not, was a huge blessing. And like I said, I'd be willing to bet that it was on purpose to get them back in a first and 10 situation. So now it's first and 10 with 217 left in the game. And that's when we have our first holding penalty. So Green Bay accepts that one very smartly. Then it's first and 20 on the Colts 48. And now they get another holding penalty, which this one's super smart to decline. Because if you decline that one, they basically ran the play, didn't get any yardage. And now you it, the, the holding penalty stops the clock. So you're basically getting a free timeout by declining that penalty. You lose the 10 yards, but you're willing to give it up. So second and 20, uh, now they run another play. Now you have uh, an illegal motion, which again, super smart to decline because now it is another basically free timeout. So now you're looking at a third and 19 with two minutes and four seconds. They somehow navigated to get to third and 19 from first and 10 with only 12 seconds running off the clock. 
losing 10 or basically 10 yards and not using a single timeout, which is beyond absurd and beyond heard of. So they did a beyond phenomenal job of managing that entire situation from, I think, purposefully taking the 12 men on the field to all of a sudden now being in a third and 19 and, and accepting the penalties when they should and declining the penalties when they shouldn't. It was legitimately genius. However, Mike Pettin decides on third and 19 to play super off coverage in a situation where you know you're going against a offensive coordinator or just a head coach in Frank Reich who loves going for it on fourth down. To make things even more complex, you're at basically at midfield. So when you're at midfield in that situation, if you give up 15 yards, you could also be in field goal range, which makes this instead of a three-point uh, three game into a six-point game. So you have to be a little bit more aggressive here, play a little bit closer to the line, and make sure that they don't pick up a ton of yardage where either they're going to go for it or potentially kick a field goal to go up six. Of course, they give up the 15, 16 yards on the play, go for it on fourth down, and all that work, all that time, effort, and energy to get the 12 men on the field and the correct holding penalties accepted and everything like that goes completely out the window because you gave up a soft play on third and 19 and then gave up the first down and fourth and four. So some amazing stuff from a, a clock management standpoint and some brutal execution down the stretch, specifically on a third and 19 where you should have them right where you, you want it. And then just to go on a little bit on that, because like I haven't gone on long enough already, <laughs> then then Green Bay gets the ball and then has some more really interesting time management stuff. So almost the exact opposite, really good execution on this drive, but some really wonky time management. So third and 10 at their own six yard line, they complete the 47 yard bomb to Mark Roosevelt's Scantling and accurately and correctly call the timeout because by the time it takes you to get 47 yards downfield, everyone running in that direction, including slow offensive linemen and everyone and, and to get down there and spike the ball or run a play or whatever, you're looking at a massive amount of time. So the fact that they got that timeout right away only used seven seconds for that play. Um, and now you have a first and 10 in Indianapolis territory with a minute and 10 left on the clock. So it starts off good. And then they complete a 14 yard pass to get down into Indianapolis territory where you're already in field goal range. And then really interestingly, spike the ball uh, on first down, which is not something we've seen out of Aaron Rodgers with any regularity. Usually he likes to either do a fake spike or run a quick like five yard route out of bounds to get a quick play when kind of the defense isn't expecting it. Um, we didn't see that. We see him spike the ball. That play doesn't end up hurting because they get the the first down on the very next play uh, on an 18-yard pass to Devontae Adams. And then this is the one that really stings because now you're first and 10 on the Colts' 15-yard line. And instead of trying to run a play, there's 42 seconds left yeah. still. Instead of trying to run a play and actually get you know closer to the end zone or, or take a shot in the end zone, you're burning it down. And there's no reason for it at this point. There's plenty of time on the clock. 42 seconds at the Colts' 15 is... Uh, a ton of time. So that was really surprising. So you spike the ball on first down. Then you have the the, com the completion inbounds to Robert Tanyan, uh, which, and then they run the clock down all the way to 12 seconds left, which I would get if there were, if it was basically a, a, a third and goal at that point, but this is a third and three at the eight. If you get up to the line right away and you try to run like a five yard out again and get out of bounds, now you have three, potentially three shots at the end zone, if you, four if you wanted it. And instead they take the clock all the way down to 12 seconds um, in some extent, I'm sure, to try to make sure that Indianapolis doesn't have a, a chance to, um, you know, to field, get the ball right. back. But at the same token, you missed out at potentially a ton of shots at, at winning the game right there in regulation. That did not feel like a, a you know all gas, no break type situation. There was a lot of breaking on that final drive in a situation where you had the opportunity with Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, and that entire offense to go out and win the game. 
end rant. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. And uh, I think that's all I have to say. <laughs> well, thanks, Andy. No, actually, that's really well said because I'm sure we all had similar thoughts there, especially you mentioned that 30 second rundown as they got into the red zone. And that was something I was yelling at the TV legitimately about. So I feel you. I feel your frustration. Um, I want to get to kind of one of the big topics of this game, and it's a player, actually, MVS, of course, had kind of an up-and-down game. He had, of course, the fumble in overtime, but he had that big catch on the drive you were just talking about, Andy. He had a big pass interference earlier in the game that got him way downfield for for a score uh, back in the first half. And so it was kind of wishy-washy, kind of a, a up-and-down game for MVS, but I'd like it to be noted that you're not in that game without what Marquez Valdez-Scantling was able to do in that game. And it was interesting to hear Matt LaFleur talk about that in his postgame presser. And he said that he has more confidence in MVS ever, although he was the one who ultimately had that fourth and final turnover in, in overtime. So, Perry, uh, definitely a wacky game for MVS. Kind of curious to hear your thoughts on him. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually thought, like, if you take the fumble out, which, you know, that's nitpicky, I guess. He had a phenomenal game. Like, he was blocking his ass off. Can I say that on the show? He was yep. blocking his ass off at, at the beginning of the first half on all of those touchdowns. That long run by EQ would not have happened without him. And then he had, like you said, Alex, the game, which is the play of the game for me, which is that beautiful Beautiful throw from Aaron Rodgers. He's like in triple coverage, catches it to to move the sticks, and then pulls an amazing DPI call that we needed, which regardless of the DPI call, that would have been a touchdown. I think in hindsight, I would have preferred if it had been a touchdown because the game would have been different there. But he he played, he poured his heart out on the field today and just happened to have a fumble in overtime. And again, it's timing. Um, and I think it could have maybe been thrown a little bit better too, but there was a bobble, but it's just, oh, the way that people are reacting to it, it really breaks my heart because this is a game that 53 players play and it's a game, it's a team game. And that's why I hate like QB wins as a stat. It's, it's why you can't blame a loss on one specific player because there were a lot of things that led up to the, that and the Packers being there. And one of them is that MVS got us to in field goal range. Um, and he's the reason why we even had a shot. And so um, I actually think that, you know, regardless of that fumble, he had a really great game and he's having a great kind of second half of the season so far. And I hope that he torches the bears next weekend. Yeah. Andy, I know you grade every player. I'm just curious. And obviously you haven't been able to for this game yet, but where has MVS been uh, this season for you? And what'd you see out of him on Sunday? Yeah, he's he's a slight positive, and this is just really the epitome of an MVS game. MVS is the ultimate wild card on the Packers. <laughs> like you, I don't know if you guys watch Always Sunny in Philadelphia and Charlie with the wild card episode. Like yep. <laughs> MVS is the wild card of this Packers offense. He's the Charlie of the uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia Packers crew. Like you're gonna get some really incredible plays from him. And then there's just going to be some unfortunate mind-numbing errors from time to time. And the entire goal right now is for this third-year receiver, who is still very young and still very talented, is to iron out some of those wrinkles and make it so that those errors are few and far between. But we are in the third season now of MBS. We have seen a little bit more consistency on what he's able to give you on offense. We've seen some really big plays from him, uh, but we still see some of these errors 
pop their head up at the wrong time. And it's just, this is right now what MBS is. And now to the people who are saying, well, this is all on MBS and he's the one who blew the game. That's just stupid. You know, he, he can shoulder some of the, uh, even a decent amount of the blame. If you want to give it to him for the fumble in overtime, that's fine. But to say that this game was on MBS, that he blew the game and, and it was, everything's his fault. That, that's just ridiculous. The, the, the defense has a huge share of blame. You had multiple turnovers from uh, the offense, including uh, the, the miss snap, the interception from Rogers, Darius Shepard had the big fumble, the defense at times could not stop the Colts in any way, shape, or form, even though Phillip Rivers could barely walk at times. Like there is plenty and plenty and plenty of blame to go around. A failed fourth and one call. Um, again, that some of the time management stuff that I just mentioned towards the end of the game. Like there, I can hand out blame cards for days in this game. So to put it all on MBS is is crazy to me. Yeah. Um, but again, th- this is unfortunately or fortunately whatever way you want to look at it glass half full glass half empty this is the the wild card that is mbs and if you're going to continue to play him you, you take the the good and, and sometimes unfortunately you're gonna to have to take the bad with him until he irons out some of the the errors that he you know makes from time to time despite the loss yesterday and obviously the the negatives that came out of his game on sunday he's been really fun to watch and uh develop this year he's been really fun to go from you know kind of a guy that that's borderline is he going to have a huge impact is he going to make a big jump this year and now he's become really i mean for a majority of the season with either adams or lazard out the number two guy for green bay's offense and he looked like that again on sunday and uh, it's been it's been neat to see his development but let's go to the blame that you were both talking about let's place some blame um I guess let's start. Where can you place the biggest blame, right? If I gave you a 100 percentile, how much percent would fall on who? Andy, I'll throw it to you first. Yeah, I just want to go back to MVS really, really quick. And I just want to say it's really telling as well as to just how many teammates have MVS's back. His coach has his back. His quarterback has his back. Uh, Devontae Adams uh, in multiple press conferences in the past has had his back. You can tell a lot about how uh, you know a team feels about a player and what they can mean to a team by how much time, effort, and energy and, and, and the level of care that they have for a teammate. And it is it is not fake. It is not it is a real genuine um you know respect that this team seems to have for MBS. And there there's a real world where if if he just gets a little bit more consistency and fixes some of those mistakes that he is a, a top level receiver in this league. Like you see him getting better. You see him gaining confidence. Now, am I willing to say that, um, you know, he can continue to have these mistakes? I'm not. I, it has to get cleaned up or at some point you, you have decisions to make. But there is a real world in which he could become a really big player in this league. And that's what you're hoping for. And that's what you're betting on. And again, I think the fact that uh, so many teammates have come out and said how much they, you know, he, he cares about the game and that he wants to be the best. I think it's very, very telling as well. As far as the blame in this game, I don't know. As I mentioned, there's a million different ways that you can right. hand out blame, but I know my my biggest concern and my my biggest maybe a frustration, I don't even know if that's the right word, is still with the defense. And I, I know that they came up with a couple of big plays in this game, especially early in the game, to put the Packers in some some decent situations and scenarios. But even still, as I mentioned before, they, they there was the missed field goal by the Colts. They have two long touchdown drives. Uh, this could have been a 17-point half, which if you equate out uh, is a 34-point game, which is exactly what the Colts ended up with. 
Um, and then in the second half, 56 yard drive field goal, 55 yard drive touchdown, 50 yard drive field goal. And then they allowed a field goal on a three uh, yard drive, which was definitely on Darius Shepard and not on the defense. They hold for the punts uh, on the drive where they had to stop them, but there was even issues there. And had it not been for literally 16 holding calls, uh, that I'm not sure how that drive ends up. And then, you know, the, the Colts get the game winning field goal at the end, although, again, no fault really of the defense is there. But uh, I just. I have a lot of concerns with this defense overall. As we mentioned before, third and 18s are still chores for this team. Um, There's not a level of consistency. You see the same errors popping up week in and week out. A lot of soft coverages. I don't think we saw a a three-man rush today, so I guess there's progress there. (laughs) I could have missed it, though. Um, But I, I, I don't know if that's where my biggest level of blame is, but that's certainly where my biggest level of concern is. That's entirely fair, and I assume, or at least I'm in a similar boat. Perry, I imagine you as well. I know you've had your frustrations with with Mike Pettin's defense all all season long. Yeah, no, I totally agree with Andy. Um, I think this one, to be honest, is hard for me to place any level of blame kind of majority level in one area because the defense did do what they could do in the situations that they were put in. There's definitely times where they were frustrating and we've gone through them. And um, but I think at the end of the day, honestly, I mean, if you if you want an answer uh, is it, it should always go up to the coaching and it should always be placed on the shoulders of the head coach or the coordinators of, of one specific side. And so I, I hope that and I think Matt LaFleur does this quite well. Um, and I hope that he does it with his coordinators. I'm sure that they meet too. is just do like a little bit of self scouting in what we did wrong in certain situations that were kind of game changing situations like that fourth down, right? And you know, Matt LaFleur is going to go through that in his head and decide maybe in hindsight, would he have changed a call here and there? So um, I guess my answer is at the end of the day, it, it should always go to the coaches. Yep. And I'm, I'm with you as well. I mean, obviously you can have your defensive, uh, your defensive issues as we all do, right? I mean, what, what they showed and how much they were on the field was not fun for anybody watching that game as a Packer fan, but there's also frustration to be, to be aired about the offense, right? We talked about the three and outs in the third quarter. We talked about, uh, you know, it felt like they really lost their rhythm and their momentum in that second half. And it felt like two completely different teams to quote Perry from earlier. So, uh, definitely lots of blame to go around, but we'll, we'll save it. We'll, we'll try to spin this more positive from here on out. Uh, player of the game, not named Aaron Rodgers. Perry, you want to start? Oh, there's, <laughs> it's hard. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I kind of want to go MVS, but it's like hard to, I guess I'll do like one, um, uh, him for the offense and then I maybe go probably Raven Green yeah. or Adrian Amos on on the defensive side of the ball I thought the secondary in general you know you're gonna play a lot of dime and so you're gonna get gashed in the run game but I thought our secondary like really came to play today um, and they for the most part kind of held the re- Colts receiving core to a pretty you know medium level standard it was not them who who kind of gave this game away so um, I liked what I saw from them I thought that they came in like really really juiced up Raven Green and Adrian Amos uh, specifically so um, I like I just uh, and Jair is obviously Jair so liked what I saw from them yeah the safeties played phenomenal from from what I was able to see really stepped up and Adrian Amos has been 
pretty solid the last month or so really has stepped it up into a new gear and I was super impressed like you mentioned Perry with what I saw with Raven Green obviously getting that turnover early but but keeping the pressure on throughout the game uh, I was also impressed with both of them and Amy didn't mention on the offensive side of things and I'm sure Andy might get to him Elton Jenkins slid in at center and Andy if I'm not mistaken that's the fourth position he's played on the offensive line in a game this year is that correct? Uh, it is. He had played center already this season, so okay. uh, he did, did do that already. But yes, he's played on four positions. Not He just hasn't played right guard yet. That's just phenomenal to me. That's ridiculous how versatile he is and how seamlessly he can make those transitions seem. So I, I've got to give him credit, even if his grading comes out slightly negative, which I, I doubt it will. But in the case it would, I'm still impressed with what he was able to do and how he can transition so seamlessly between positions. I hope he's a Packer for a very long time. Yeah, I think he will be. And it's a really great point, Alex, because uh, and I've mentioned this with Billy Turner in the in the past when he you know slid over to left tackle and didn't have like the greatest, you know, graded game ever. Uh, it's still a huge asset when you can have a, a player move around to all these different spots and even having just be average to good. Like there's so much value in that level of versatility. And we've seen it from so many players this year. Um, you know, obviously Billy Turner's been all the way, you know, all around the offensive line. Um, and, and as as Elton Jenkins, we've seen Lucas Patrick move around. We've seen uh, John Runyon Jr. Interesting that they decided to put John Runyon Jr. in uh, at left guard and move uh, J- uh, Jenkins to center rather than, you know, moving everyone to the left and having Lucas Patrick play center. Billy Turner go to right guard, which he played all last year and move Rick Wagner into right tackle. I thought that was a pretty strong vote of confidence for John Runyon Jr. that they decided to, you know, really go in his direction rather than Rick Wagner when really they they could have made a, a couple different moves to to get which one that they wanted in. Uh, but if I'm going MVPs here or player of the game, I got to start with Devontae Adams again. Like it's to the point where a seven catch, 160 yard, one touchdown game is like, oh yeah, you know, nice game by Devontae Adams, I guess. But like he only had eight targets and he still had seven for 106 and a touchdown and was basically flawless throughout the game. Um, kind of honorable mention to Robert Tanyan, who kind of same thing, only five targets and uh, still 44 yards and a touchdown and, and caught all five targets thrown his way. We also saw late in the game where he came open, uh, kind of uncovered in the back of the end zone, but Rodgers just was looking in the opposite direction for uh, Devontae Adams for obvious reasons. Um, so I thought those two played well. And then really when, when the Packers needed a quarterback to come up clutch the most, I, I thought he really did. And I'm talking, of course, about Tim Boyle, who called tails on the overtime coin flip. And of course it came up tails because that man is the most clutch quarterback that the Packers have ever had. <laughs> <laughs> that was a clutch showing indeed. Yeah, Tim Boyle, MVP of that one for, for Green Bay. Uh, but to go back to your Devontae Adams note, a- Andy, it's isn't it ridiculous how, you know, a, a great performance like that almost goes unnoticed at this point because we're so used to how ridiculous Devontae Adams is. And he, and he was great again on Sunday. Perry, do you feel that way? Like 100 yards, and it's I feel like we haven't even touched on that yet in the last 40 minutes. That's crazy. Yeah, he's kind of becoming like the Rodgers of receivers where it's like so expected that you don't appreciate it anymore. Uh, I don't know if that was an analogy that will resonate with anyone, but he's like, you know, when you go out there and you're like not Superman, you're like, huh, why weren't you Superman? But then you are and you're like, well, yeah, that's that's what you're like. That's what you're supposed to always do. He's a monster. I mean, he's amazing. There's a play in the first half where he had like nobody around him for like probably 15 yards and he didn't even know where to turn because he had all of the options and that's just who who he is and uh, I'm 
we'll quote Aaron Rodgers and just say, I'm really glad he's on our team. I'm also really glad he's on our team. He's very good at football, um, as a couple of those guys are. Uh, let's get to our final thoughts on Andy. Uh, obviously, a, a not fun loss. It was not fun, uh, second half especially. So what are the main takeaways for this for, for you guys? Uh, Perry or Andy, I, I don't know who wants to go first, because like, like we've all alluded to, I think, our brains all feel a little bit mushy after watching that one. Yeah, I can start. I, I thought the thing for me that that oddly stood out is how Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur responded in their press conference today. Both of them came out really, really confident. Rodgers said that this game actually gave him more confidence moving forward. Um, I, it just it really stood out to me um, how both of them felt kind of coming off of this game. And again, as I mentioned earlier, maybe that's a little bit of psychology talking to make sure that they kind of pump themselves off uh, up after a tough loss to start getting ready for next week. But um, they felt really, really good against, you know, going up against this team. Um, you know, really, the four turnovers is an anomaly for this Packers team to some extent. Um, I, I get the the feeling that you know, enough is enough. This this game isn't played on paper and it's not about almost and, and, you know, you can't take away, you know, good feelings from a loss. You know, ultimately you went out, you played the Colts, you had an opportunity to win and you choked it away. And there definitely should be a level of frustration with that. But um, I, I came out feeling a little bit energized and rejuvenated after hearing from LaFleur and Rogers and what they had to say post game. Um, I, I do think to some extent that this was you know, a lot of uncharacteristics, you know, mistakes from this Packers team. At the same token, I want to see some of these things corrected. There have been more turnovers that we've seen from this Packers team as a whole as of late than what we're used to seeing. I think that's got to get cleaned up a little bit because such a huge part of the the, the Packers ability to win so many games over the course of the last year and a half under Matt LaFleur has been the ability to take such great care of the football um, if you would have told me that the Packers would have got two turnovers on defense, I would have felt really darn and, and 31 points of offense. I would have felt really darn good about this game, uh, but it was really the four turnovers that swung it. Well said, Andy. Well said. Um, I guess I'll just piggyback off of that and say that I expected this to be a loss um, because, you know, the Colts are a very good football team. They have a very good defense. And I think what they do well on defense was going to give us trouble. So the, the way that we came out um, gives me a lot of promise for this offense moving forward against some of the stronger defenses. Not being able to close it out is another thing, but there's a lot to look at here and grow from. Um, and so I'm glad this happened not in the playoffs. And also it's a loss to a non-conference, you know, non-divisional opponent. Um, so I don't know how much it's really going to affect them from a playoff standpoint. Uh, I know that the Saints won, so they moved up to the one spot. Okay, we could flip it again to, to the end of the season. Um, I think what stood out to me, and I mentioned it earlier, is just like their ability to climb back and not give up and like that's been a problem in the past when games go south for them especially in turnovers and especially when Aaron Rodgers turns turns the ball over which he did twice this game which again is like quite uncharacteristic I did think that that interception was just an incredible inc that's <laughs> incre a great word incredible. I like that word <laughs> incredible crazy athletic feat like that was just not on Rodgers but that's in the side note uh, and I just made up a word um but I just like the heart, and I, I that's what I agree with from Andy. Is just I, I like the heart, and I like how 
they have like rallied around each other to understand that like yes this loss happened and a loss is a loss and it doesn't matter how you lose and you can flip it the same way with wins uh, but I just like that there's kind of momentum um, especially going into a game next week that does matter um, and that is against a division rival with the Bears so uh, I just like the energy and the the passion coming out of this team kind of moving forward you guys are so positive. It's it's incredible. Um, no, I look, have to I, be. If I'm not positive, then what am I doing here? That's that's fair. Um, I'll I'll be the negative one then, I guess. Look, I, I I'm certainly concerned, I guess, a little bit in terms of what we saw in the ser- second half. I don't think that's something that's going to linger on. I don't think that's going to become a common occurrence. I mean, they were playing a, a good football team by all means. The Indianapolis Colts, I mean, are a team that Perry picked to win. I also picked them to win Perry. I, I thought this was going to be a loss for the Packers. It's just not how I expected it to go. I didn't expect um, you know, the, the, the 28 points in the first half to follow that up with only three in the next, you know, two quarters plus overtime. It was just a wacky game. It was, it was much different than, than I think it would played out. But as you mentioned, Perry, I will go back to the half glass full side of this. I'd rather this happen in week 11 than in week 20 or 21, right? I'd rather this get this out of the way now against a non-conference opponent and really see where the Packers are at. So before we get to a quick look ahead to Chicago, I, I, I think it's important to reflect and evaluate. Where do we see the Packers fitting in in the NFC through 11 weeks? They're 7-3. and three. They're still right there record-wise. But do we actually think they can compete with the, uh, of course, New Orleans, who they beat earlier this year, and Tampa Bay, who beat them, uh, Seattle, Los Angeles, Arizona, all teams that have looked really good. Uh, of, of those, how many did I name? Five teams? Where do you see the, the Packers fitting in kind of in the NFC, Perry? Yeah, I would add the Rams in there as well, because I think yep. the Rams defense scares me a lot. Uh, but I look, I think I've seen. I think all of those teams have had weird, wonky, bad games. We saw it with the Bucks a couple weeks ago. We've seen it with the Saints. I think they fit right in with everyone. I think Seattle has a worse defense somehow than the Packers do. So it's really anybody's conference at this point. And it's just a matter of being able to execute in those like must-win moments. Now, do I think the Packers can do that in the playoffs? Can the defense step up? This offense certainly, I believe, can. I don't know. Uh, but I've seen, you know, I think we look back and we look at sort of maybe the 2010 team and they were a wild card and they just like made a push through to, to the Super Bowl. But then you look at the 2011 and they were super dominant and everyone is expecting them to be, to be Super Bowl contenders and Super Bowl winners again, maybe back to back. And you just never know what's going to happen. And it's all about like the attitude that you go into games with and do you have that w- winning mentality? Is there that dog in you that's just going to say, we don't care that we're underdogs in this, like we're going to push this through to the playoffs. And that to me is what's still the question. I think this game showed me a little bit of how they can have that mentality, but it's going to end up being anybody's game when it comes to the postseason. Yeah. And for me, I just want to see this team take the next step towards greatness. And I think they have a little bit of a ways to go until they do that. Aaron, I thought Aaron Rodgers said it perfectly today. This needs to be a team that can win in all three phases. And right now there's only one phase that I have confidence in. And we've seen uh, some hiccups on that side of the ball as well over the course of the past few games. So um, in, until this team plays fully complimentary football and starts winning in all three phases, 
um, I have questions as to just how far they can go. And to be fair, that that's why there is 16 games of the season. So you can start writing the ship and uh, making sure that you start getting right on defense and, um, you know, figure out the formulas. We've seen teams before. The New York Giants are, are a great example of this. The Eli Manning led New York Giants where they were a bad football team until about week 17, where they played an undefeated Patriots team lost in that game, uh, but got confidence from playing in that game and then go out and, and you know, sweep the playoffs and, and beat the, the Patriots, same Patriots team in the Super Bowl. So it, it's about getting it right by the end of the season. I don't expect this Packers team to be perfect right now, uh, but they have a ways to go before they're there. And until they want to be a, a true contender to the throne, they, they have some things that they got to self-scout and, and clean up over the course of the next handful of weeks. Definitely a bump in the road on Sunday, but it happens, as, as you've both alluded to. We've seen it time and time again throughout the years, and, and hopefully the Packers can can make some adjustments, both in-game and obviously long-term as we move along. They're going to be a playoff team. They'll likely have a home playoff game. The situation's going to be good. As much as we like to overreact to uh, to losses and bumps in the road and, and different things that happened, uh, we're still very, very blessed to be Packers fans because uh, it could be much worse. And I know I know Perry's out in New York. The Jets are very, very bad. Um, so glad you're not a Jets fan, Perry. That's uh, that's good. You and me both. <laughs> let's move. Let's look ahead. Next Sunday night, it's uh, all eyes on Green Bay and Chicago, the oldest rivalry in the National Football League. The first time these two teams match up this year, obviously one of the first two. Um, so what, what are some expectations? What do we want to see? I, I guess would be a better way to phrase that as, as the Packers take on the bears next Sunday night, Perry, we'll toss it to you first. Oh boy. I'm so excited for this game because yeah. Aaron Rodgers is, unless there is some crazy meltdown, he's about, uh, I think 165 yards away from 50,000 career passing yards. And you know that he's going to want to reach that goal and more against our rival, the bears. Sunday night football. I don't know if the schedulers did this on purpose. They probably had no idea this would happen, but it just is set up so perfectly. It's it's just so beautiful. I love all of the symmetry. Um, and so I'm super pumped for Rodgers to kind of go off. Um, I know that the Bears have a very good defense again, but seeing what this offense could do against the Colts defense gives me a little bit more kind of hope that they'll be okay against the Bears. And I mean, let's be honest, if there's a team that our defense should want to just demolish and a, a bad offense to boot, it's the Bears. So I'm hoping this is going to be a really, really good get right game. Um, it is at Lambeau, if I'm not mistaken. I think the the second one later in January is the one that's that's away. So it just should be come home, get your rival, celebrate your, your franchise future Hall of Fame quarterback to be only the 11th quarterback in the history of the NFL to get to 50,000 and uh, just demolish the bears. Yeah. To me, it's kind of a bad news. Good news. The, the bad news is, is first of all, the, these games where you have really tough losses and you play a ton of extra snaps going into overtime and, and they're really intense snaps as well. When you look at the second half of the game, defense played a lot. Um, you, you tend to get a little bit worn down in those games. I, I go back to the game. Uh, what was it? A few years ago, the, the Vikings Packers tie that went into overtime where um, the Vikings and Packers played a ton of snaps. That one was in the heat. So this is a little bit different, but both the Vikings 
Redskins and the Packers were heavy favorites in the, the game the next week. The Packers played the Reds, or the, at the time, the Redskins, now the football team. Um, and uh, I forget who the, the Vikings played, but both teams got demolished. They were just dead because they had given everything they had the week prior. So sometimes games like this can have a little bit of a hangover effect. And then to make things worse, Chicago is coming off of a bye. So they are going to be well-rested. Um, that said, as Perry mentioned, I don't I don't know if this is going to be Nick Foles, Mitch Trubisky, or Tyler Bray at this point. It sounds like it's probably going to be Foles and he's going to be healthy. But uh, whoever it is, this is a very, very, very bad offense. Probably the second worst offense in the league besides the Jets. And this has got to be a team that your defense comes out and, and just dominates from beginning to end. Again, if you want to be a, a true contender, these are the games that your defense has to take care of. I thought they did an okay job uh, against the Jets. Jaguars in a similar type of situation and, and Jake Luton, they got to take care of this game. And I really want to see some steps in the right direction from this defense. 100% with you. I think we need some improvement. It'll be a fun matchup. It's divisional football on Sunday night. I don't know if it gets much better than that. I'm pretty excited. Uh, but that said, guys, appreciate the time as always. I hope you have a, a happy Thanksgiving week and, and a great week. We'll talk again soon. We appreciate you spending your Monday with us. We'll, we'll talk to you later this week. This is the Pack-A-Day Podcast. See ya.